Not long um, after Joe and I got married, um, someone wanted to offer some words of wisdom to us as we started out our married life together. And they said to us, um, look, Mark and Joe, you've got to remember that the people always forget the third ring in marriage. Ooh, okay. There's the engagement ring, he said. There's the wedding ring. And then there's the suffering. And I think, you know, as you were saying, he, of course, he meant it a bit as a joke and a bit of a laugh. But I think also he was, you know, wanting to make a point. He'd been married, you know, quite a few years. And he was wanting to say, look, these promises you've just made to, to love each other, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part, that is not easy. Now, that is a really hard thing to do. To love someone, be committed to someone, day in, day out, year on year. And look, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, a lot of marriages don't make it. Here in the UK, it's one in three marriages now that, that end in divorce. The majority of those divorces, I found out this week, happen after 30 years of marriage. Maybe people have just drifted apart over time. It's just really hard to keep being there decade in, decade out, year after year. And uh, I remember chatting to a friend like, a couple of years ago about this, and he said, look, Mark, the Bible's just so unrealistic now when it comes to marriage. You know, it's really out of date, and it needs to be updated. You've got to remember, Mark, that, so he said, you know, people back then, they didn't live so long, right? They sort of lived till, I don't know, 30 or 40, and so if you were married, it would only be for, you know, 10 or 20 years, and that was pretty doable, right? And I think I could do that. But nowadays, you know, our lifespan is to, to 70 to 80, and that means you could be married for 50 or 60 years. And Mark, I mean, that is impossible. I certainly couldn't be committed that long. I don't know if you've ever thought something similar or heard something similar. Now, I did point out to my friend that there is a, a difference between lifespan and life expectancy, right? Life expectancy the, is the average lifespan of an entire population taking into account mortality rates, etc. If you've got very high mortality rates in a certain period of history, then yes, average life expectancy might be 30 to 40. That is different to lifespan, which is the age that people live. And the Bible's absolutely clear. Psalm 90, written before Song of Songs, that the days of humanity, the days of human being, are three scores and ten, or four scores, 70 to 80. The Bible's always known we're going to be living that long. And then I said to my friend, and do you know, people used to get married much younger back then. In other words, marriage would be longer. And yet it still says, total, exclusive, lifelong commitment to each other. Now, I'm not sure my friend really wanted to hear that, but it begs the question, how are marriages meant to last? What is going to keep a marriage going through all the ups, the downs, the individual disappointments, the mutual disappointments, in sickness and in health, sometimes debilitating diseases, sometimes the heartache of, of a miscarriage, what about when a spouse harms you, deeply wounds you, betrays you? How do you keep going then? Day in, day out, year in, year out, decade, decade, till death us do part. Well, that is something that our passage here uh, speaks into. As we are given in verses 6 to 7, the closest thing in the Song of Songs to a definition of love. If you've been following our series, you'll know there have been all these cycles of love and lots of poetry and how are you feeling and tasting and experiencing. And now in verses 6 to 7, this is what love is. It's as strong as death. 
Its jealousy unyielding is the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. And so here we're given true biblical love, which will make any marriage last. The love to look for in a spouse, the love to absolutely show towards your spouse, but most importantly of all, especially if you are not married here today and will never be married. Most of all, this passage points us forward and ultimately and most importantly to God's true love for each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to go. What true love is and God's true love for us. First, what true love is. As we are given these four wonderfully rich images of love in verses 6 to 7. Let's just go through them one by one. First, love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. Now, I wonder what you make of that comparison, because when I think of death, and I think of something like cold and lifeless and very negative, so why does the woman compare love to death? It's because they both share this incredible strength and power. Have you ever seen someone dying? Have you ever been with someone in the last few hours of their life? There is nothing that you can do to stop death getting hold of them. Death absolutely will not let go of them. It's unyielding. And only in that comparison, so so it is with love. True biblical love, it will never let a person go. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. Again, we tend to think of jealousy only in negative terms. But the Bible actually speaks of jealousy in in positive ways, in two main ways. God's jealousy for his people and a spouse's jealousy for one another. Because some things are not meant to be shared. And it could be, you know, congregation of this size, that you, you know something of the pain, the heartache, you know, of being too timed in a relationship. The pain and heartache, if you've ever been the innocent party in an adulterous affair, because the love is so strong. I won't let go of that person. It's just so wrong. Good, godly jealousy is that unyielding. To see someone and flirting with your wife, if you're not going to go over there and protect her and be there for her and say no and that is wrong, you would see there'd be something wrong with your love. Jealousy is a good thing. It's that strong. And that's why the woman says in verse 5, place me like a seal over your, your heart, like a seal on your arm. This lifelong commitment, I want you to be with you in the core and the depths of your being and on your arms so people can see that I belong to you and you belong to me because love is that strong. Good godly jealousy is that unyielding. So that's the first image we're given here of true biblical love. The second continues in verse 6. True love burns like blazing fire like a mighty flame. And so in case we are tempted of thinking of this comparison of love as cold and lifeless like death, no, the woman continues. It's like a, 
It's like a fire. It's alive. It burns with passion. Just look at how the husband and wife are described in verse 5, the start of this section. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? I love that image of the wife leaning into her husband. We don't know what time this is. This is them coming back from the honeymoon, coming back from their countryside trip from last week. Or is it many years later as they reminisce together? This companionship, this leaning in, this dependency, closeness, friendship. We don't know for sure, but then even with that, the very next uh, sentence in the verse goes, under the apple tree, I roused you. And we move from that friendship, that companionship, yet again to to their sexual passion. Reminiscing about their first sexual encounter, we got this friendship, but it's a friendship on fire. It is blazing. And the martial arts master, Bruce Lee, once came up with his own definition of love. He said, love is like a friendship caught on fire. In the beginning, a flame, very pretty, often hot and fierce, but still only light and flickering. As love grows older, our hearts mature, and our love becomes as coals, deep burning and unquenchable. Now, I don't know if Bruce Lee ever read the Song of Songs, but, you know, it's a good description, friendship on fire for this second image we are given here. And some of you on your phones or your Bibles might have a translation which says, like the very flame of the Lord. And so this is not just sexual passion we're talking about, although of course it includes that. It's one of the main themes of the book, but also a godly passion. You know, an unrelenting desire to see your spouse become more and more like Jesus Christ and growing godliness and purity together. That is how to have a marriage that lasts. Okay, so that's the second image. Third image we're given here is that of love being unquenchable. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. We've seen the tit-for-tat argument that they had you know, back in chapter 5, for those of you who were with us. And we've seen the allusions to the curse of a fallen world that last week, the frustration of love. We even get the mention here in verse 5 of, of the pain of labor um, as the mother of the husband gives birth um, to him. And so there are going to be many difficulties and complications coming in you know, on their life and on married life. But here is a love that perseveres through it all and keeps committed to one another and the fire keeps burning through all these ups and downs. And in some marriages, the love there, it burns more like a, like a candle. And then when the, the wave of a you know, first argument or the, the wave of a, of a first difficulty comes in, very quickly that candle can get, can get snuffed out. But the love that's more like a forest fire no matter how many times the water gets poured on it's just it's still going. Wave upon wave of, of arguments or difficulties or ups and downs, whatever comes its way. An unquenchable father, that is a marriage that lasts, that is a marriage that is strong, no matter the difficulties that it faces. Here then is a picture in, the, in this third one of a husband and wife who are quick to say sorry, quick to forgive, a love that keeps no record of wrongs, a love that keeps burning for the godliness of the other person, unquenchable, a love that always perseveres. Fourthly, fourth image we get here of true biblical love, it is priceless. Look at 
If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. We'll see actually next week a contrast that, that is made with all the wealth of Solomon. But clearly this woman has learned, you know, thousands of years before Lennon and McCartney ever did, that money can't buy you love. And I know it's a bit of a, a cliche to say it. I mean, for us today, perhaps the problem is, is more the other way around. And love is so, and sex is, is so cheapened today. I'm not sure if you saw the uh, Ofsted report that came out this week. Um, describing how it is increasingly common practice now for secondary school boys to share nudes on their phones with each other. Uh, some schoolgirls being pressurized by up to 11 boys a night, asking them for nude images. Nine in 10 girls experience sexist name calling or sent explicit photos against their will. I mean, we have lost sight of the, the preciousness of true romantic love. Because to have someone who loves you like this with a strong, appropriate jealousy, to, to love you with this godly passion for your spiritual and, well, whole well-being, to love you with this unquenchable perseverance no matter how difficult it becomes, and to do all that in a lifelong commitment to one another, there is nothing else like it. No human love like it. You cannot put a price on it. You cannot buy it. You cannot sell it. But if you do find it, then, oh my goodness, treasure it, prize it, protect it. Keep giving thanks to God for it. This, then, is what true romantic love is. And look, I mean, it sets a very high bar indeed for marriage. Very high bar. The Church of England liturgy uh, on marriage says this, it must not be undertaken carelessly, lightly, or selfishly, but reverently, responsibly, and after serious thought. And so for those of you who are single, you know, really desperate to get married, let me just say, you know, do you realize what you're, you're asking for? And what's coming? It's not easy. It is hard work. It's a very high bar. Total, exclusive, lifelong commitment to your spouse, not just for 20 or 30 years, till death us do part. This is what it means, loving each other with a strong appropriate jealousy, loving each other like a friendship on fire, loving each other no matter what comes your way, this unquenchable perseverance and reminding yourself daily just how precious this sort of true love is and not trading it in, not for a moment, for anyone or anyone else. So husbands and wives are probably a little bit uneasy in their, their pews right now. It's challenging. It's a high bar. So that's what true love is. I want to move us on quickly, though, to the second thing I said we're going to see here, which is God's true love for us. Because throughout this sermon series, we have seen how God has always and originally designed human marriage to be a, a foretaste and a, and a pointer and a foreshadowing of the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. And the reason I want to move on quickly to that and God's love for us is simply because some of you here are single and may never experience the sort of true human love that we've just seen in these verses. Some of you are married, and you're still not experiencing it. And even the most happily married couple here will one day grow old, you will die, and you will lose this true love that we have just seen. And yet in the wider biblical story, and what this passage is pointing forward to, you know, is a is a greater human love than there, a greater love than any human love, let me say. 
It is pointing us forward to a love that is even sweeter, even more persevering, a love which will never let you go for eternity, and that is God's love for you in Jesus Christ. A love which, by the way, is not just as strong as death, but is stronger than death. Think of Jesus Christ. Think of him on the cross. Think of him dying for your sin and my sin. And everything that separates a relationship between us and God, and not just dying, but three days later, rising again. This is a love that beats death. This is a love that says, I will never let you go forever. Greater love has no one like this, says Jesus, that you lay down your life, down your friends. God demonstrates his own love for us that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I often struggle to lay my life down for my wife, Jo, you know, even in the small details of life. You know, emptying the dishwasher, taking out the bins, cleaning the loos. I struggle to do that even when I know Jo loves me and she's for me, she's committed to me. She's not going anywhere. Jesus Christ died for us when we did not have a care in the world towards him. Turning our backs to him. Apathetic to his word. Deliberately rebelling about what he says. And yet he still goes to the cross for us. He still lays down his life for us. Such is the strength of his love, his unyielding jealousy for us and his church. I will never let you go. And God's love for us is a love which burns with pure, white, hot passion. Hebrews 12 tells us that our God is a consuming fire. He won't tolerate any sin, any evil, any idols, anybody else. He's absolutely committed to our spiritual well-being, our eternal well-being. Outside of Jesus Christ, God's holy love would have consumed us in everlasting judgment. But to be in Jesus Christ, God's holy love transforms us. And his spirit makes us day by day more and more like his son, more gracious, more forgiving, more loving, more patient, more fighting for justice, less anxious, less grumpy, being more and more the people that God always intended us to be. This blazing, passionate, holy, godly love for us. And God's love for us is unquenchable. The third image that we saw here. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. This is the end of Romans chapter 8, if you want to look it up later. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will but separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear that? There is nothing in the whole of this universe that can separate you if you are trusting in Jesus Christ with the love of God. But I'm so sinful. No, Jesus Christ died for your sin. But what about all the circumstances of life? No, think of anything in the whole universe that you think could separate you from God's love. And no, it can't. You are that secure in his love for eternity. There is no love greater than this, and it is a love you cannot buy. What does it profit a man, Jesus asked, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And the answer is nothing. There is nothing more precious than Jesus Christ. 
There is nothing more precious than a relationship with him. It is his love that all our human love flows from. Our relationship with him, which every earthly relationship flows from. To know him, to be, or to be known by him, to be loved by him. He is the pearl of great price. If you're a Christian here today, you have a truly priceless thing. And so as you've heard this, these verses, if you saw this love, you thought, my goodness, I want to be loved by this, like this. I want to feel this love. I want to know this love. I want to have this strong love, this unyielding jealousy towards me, an unquenchable love. If you want it, you can have it. Trust in Jesus Christ. Come to him. You can have it right now. You say to him, place me like a seal upon your heart, like a seal upon your heart. You say, absolutely. You're mine. Say, all I am, I give to you. All I have, I share with you. He says, yes. And you will be sealed in him, Ephesians 1, with the promised Holy Spirit. You in him, his spirit in you. And it is transformative. It will actually make you a more loving spouse. It will make you a more loving friend. It will make you a more loving colleague. His love transforms your love. I've been married to Jo for 18 years now. The love that she has has been transformative. The way she's been gracious to me when I haven't deserved it, forgiven me, loved me, prayed for me, pointed me to Jesus. And each year more and more her love for me transforms my love towards others. I want to model, I want to show what I've received to others. Now let me be absolutely clear that Joe is far from perfect. You can ask her afterwards. She says so herself. And yet it's had this wonderful transformative effect. Can you imagine therefore the transformation that is possible the more we grasp and appreciate just how much God, who is perfect in every way, truly loves us. Us. You hear it so much. God is love. God is love. Yeah, God is love me. Oh, but do we believe it? Do we feel it? Do we experience it? We say each day, yes, that is true. And let it transform us in the way we show love and forgiveness and grace to others. I came across a story about B.B. Warfield in one of the commentaries I was looking at in preparation for this. B.B. Warfield was professor of theology at Princeton from 1887 to 1921. He was famous for his writing on the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. He had an incredible mind. What is less known about him is how he cared for his wife, Annie. They married at 25, but on their honeymoon, Annie was tragically struck by lightning and paralyzed for life. And B.B. Warfield spent almost 40 years lovingly caring for her, day in, day out, and in all those years, never left his home for more than a few hours at a time. For her sake, for her godliness, a burning love for his wife that never died out. <laughs> you know, you hear stories like that. You say, look, what a man, what a husband, what love. You might say to them, like, how did he do that? How did he keep loving her? A woman, you know, his wife, he couldn't move, couldn't kiss him, couldn't make love to him, couldn't have children. How did he do it? Now he's no longer alive, we can't ask him. But I bet if you did, he would say, only through God's true love of him. This deep grasp and appreciation of God's strong, jealous, burning, unquenchable, priceless love for him in Jesus Christ. It transformed him. 
and it can transform you. And all you need to do is receive his love and keep receiving it day in, day out, till death us do part. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for this description of love, these rich, four really rich images of love set by this woman in the context of, of her marriage to her husband. But my goodness, how we fall short of it and some of us haven't experienced it. And those of us who are married don't love our spouses like this. But we know ultimately it points forward to the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church, your love for us, and, your, and you perfectly love us like this. Thank you for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your deep, deep love for us despite our, our sin. And I pray, Father, wherever we're coming from today, whether we're hearing this for the first time or the hundredth time, you would give us by your Spirit a deeper appreciation of this reality, just what a loving God you are, Father, Son, and Spirit, and allow your love to transform our love and the way we relate to others. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.